Strength does not come from physical capacity. It comes from an indomitable will. Mahatma Gandhi Hello everyone and welcome to Secrets of Saturn. On this episode, we have Ole Damagard. Ole has made hundreds of international interviews and is totally dedicated to revealing the New World Order's agenda, including false flag operations all over the world. He is not here to spread fear. Instead, his goal is to prevent the global elite from turning this beautiful planet into a controlled and fearful place. We all deserve so much better, says Ole. It's time to stop the madness and heal the world with love. And welcome to the show, Ole. Thank you so much. Let's start with a little bit of your history. What What is it that woke you up to all the things we're going to discuss today? Well, for me personally, it was uh, in the early, I think it was in the early 80s. Um, I, one night, of one, a late night, I, I saw a documentary about the Kennedy assassination. It was the first time I saw the so-called Zapruder film, the film taken by a bystander where you can see the whole assassination and where you can also see how the final headshot is throwing Kennedy's head back and to the left, meaning by simple physics that the shooter must have stand, been standing somewhere to the right and to the front, not where the official story was telling us, way up, high up, behind the president and up in a, in a building. And at that point, I mean, it was so simple to see without being super intelligent that, hey, this official story that we're still being told, this was in the 80s, so it was like at least 20 years after the murder. But these were like heavy sources like uh, uh, what is the NBC and the big uh, uh, Fox News and the, these big news channels was still hammering that official story that this was the truth. Lee Harvey Oswald was the lone crazy guy and that's it, no discussion. And then I saw the Sapruda film that just showed the absolute opposite. So I, I, that blew me away. And that started me down a road where with the JFK assassination, I think I've read a couple of thousand books, a couple of hundred books. I don't know how many thousands of hours I spent uh, trying to find out what actually happened with that one. And in the end, uh, I, I used to work as a journalist. And uh, I started writing a book about the JFK assassination just for my own self, you know, to try and, and see what the hell is going on here because that assassination is so multilayered that it's, it's the masterpiece of conspiracies. I mean, really, it's incredible. After all of these years, we're still confused to a large extent. So that one, they really pulled off well. But... Uh, the more I, I learned about the JFK assassination, the more interested I became of the assassination of Martin Luther King, Robert Kennedy, Malcolm X, and so on. And after a while, it was I almost came to a point where I started to see that, hey, hang on a minute here. It's almost like they're using a template, not the way the assassination itself is carried out, I mean, the number of shooters and getaway cars and so on. Not that, but how this is being blamed on a lone pat patsy, a lone innocent guy who has to take the fall, how the whole population is duped and put back into sleep with an official story that is followed up by an investigation that is part of the crime. And if people don't buy that, then that is followed up by one or two or three or four 
so-called commissions that are also part of the crime, just covering it up, covering it up, covering it up, and boring you to tears with so much boring uh, documentation that says absolutely not nothing, meaning that we get buried in all of these papers and the truth is just slowly slipping away under our feet without us noticing. So back in the 80s, I'm assuming nobody really... It wasn't a big thing. People weren't investigating these sorts of things yet. I was so alone, as far as I knew. There was a there was a handful of people in the states that were really looking into JFK. There was a, but these were, you know, like mostly older guys, small groups of people, very confused, very sad uh, over what had happened in in the U.S. and other countries, and just very not knowing what to do but really doing everything they could to gather as much uh, evidence and information to uncover this massive jigsaw puzzle. The streets of Stockholm, and and I thought, uh, I mean, I, I was born in Denmark, but I grew up in Sweden, and I thought I lived in the perfect country, you know, uh, democracy where you can trust the uh, politicians, you can trust the police, you can trust that everything is going the way it should go, no corruption, no violence, all of these things. And then, boom, I started seeing the exact same signs in Sweden. And I started seeing the exact same template being active in Sweden as well, which just blew me away because I thought, holy sh... I mean, whatever. How is this possible that a Swedish assassination can follow the exact same steps and templates uh, as in the U.S. and other countries if they're not connected. So at that point, I started looking upon the Swedish assassination from a totally, a much, much higher point of view, seeing it not as a Swedish crime, but possibly an international crime. And uh, uh, at that point, I just, uh, I quit my job as a journalist. I went to Stockholm. Uh, where the assassination had taken place. I started driving a bus, uh, anything to keep me alive while I was doing it. And I met up with a small group of uh, private investigators. I mean, that, that's what we would call it. Uh, but it was just a group of, of ordinary citizens, you know, former lawyers, former police officers, uh, businessmen, same as in the U.S., totally shocked over what had taken place in our country and how it was all being covered up. And uh, this took me down a very, very scary road. At at that time, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. But uh, I got myself into a a world of very, very dark world of conspiracies, assassinations, Freemasonry network, uh, horrible rituals, satanic things, uh, arms smuggling, the Iran Contras, connections to the Iran Contras, and and so many other things. And also getting in direct touch with people being killed. I had, unfortunately, I had two friends in this group that was uh, taken out in, in quite violent, especially one of them was killed very violently and so on. Because they get too close? Yeah, and I also had a, a visit at home which freaked me out because the people or the forces that we are up against when it comes to these areas, they are brutal. They solve problems with violence. 
And uh, I tell you, shit's scary when you get up to and when you get close to these uh, people. Do you know what they found out that, that got them killed? Yeah, for sure. It's uh, I've, I've written a book called Coup d'etat in slow motion. And a lot of the information in the, it's a two-part uh, series, two volumes. It's uh, about a thousand pages. Uh, about the assassination of Olaf Palmer, but with all the connections into the in, in the international arms trading, drugs uh, trafficking, uh, many, many of the other major assassinations, and with direct personal connections with the JFK assassination and the assassination of the Swedish Prime Minister Olaf Palmer and so on. And uh, this were, in this book, there, there a lot of the details comes from these two people that die, but also from other very brave people who got their lives totally crushed, their, their, their careers uh, mangled up. And, uh, their, you know, when you get too close, at least in those days, if you got too close, you would burn yourself, you know, in, in, in brutal ways. And uh, it ended up with me feeling that I need to leave Sweden. So I took my sweetheart, was brave enough and wonderful enough to just say, yep, not a problem. So uh, we looked for a place, and within two months after my visit there, boom, we lived in Spain. We started from absolute scratch, and uh, um, it's now where we came here, the year 2000. And uh, so this was uh, way before the Internet, because with the Internet... I mean, this is a piece of cake when you compare it to in the old days because there, to find information was such hard work, I'm telling you, to get hold of. And you had, to, I, like I had to personally track down and find witnesses. Uh, I even tracked down assassins and foreign agents. And so in my life, it was like a, a cheap B-movie. It, it really was very bizarre after a while. But uh, then at that time also to be, to have information and be the only one with information of that caliber was very dangerous and very uncomfortable. I was, uh, uh, while writing this book, I had copies everywhere. I tell you, I don't know how many people was helping me with backup uh, CD-ROMs, you know. I had them in my fridge. I had them built into my wall. I had, you know, like just spread out so that uh, mm -hmm. if something should happen to me, that it would be, that it could, would be out there anyway. Did anything happen? Did you, did you notice anything odd going on? Like I said, I had a visit at home. Uh, they, they broke in. The, the way they do it, it's just exactly like their mom do, you know, because to take someone out is messy. So what they do is they scare you off to start with. They try to scare you off. And the way they do it is that they come to your home, uh, mostly when you're not uh, at home. Uh, and what they do is whatever locks or alarms or whatever you have, they just bypass them because these are skilled people. They just get into your home. And then what they do is they rearrange furniture or they put a lot of your books on the table or they, uh, they make changes so that you will understand that somebody has been in there you know, doing stuff, right. and then they leave the home, lock up everything, set everything back to exactly the way it is, meaning the message they send to you is that 
we see you. Back off or something bad will happen. That is the message. And with me, it was like uh, the furniture had been rearranged. I saw somebody had gone through my papers. There was uh, uh, my, my brew, uh, toothbrush was among the cutlery in the kitchen. I mean, ridiculous things like that. <laughs> uh, and also, so there was a photo my brother had taken of the, uh, the place where the prime minister had been murdered, where the blood was still on the street. And there was this um, poster in the background where it says, why is a true Democrat murdered? And that they had taken that photo, and, and I don't know how they did it with water or whatever. They dissolved the colors so it looked like there was blood running down the photo. And that was stuck under my bathtub uh, in, um, where the, the water exits. But the thing is that when something like this happened, if you call the police and say, well, somebody moved my toothbrush and put it <laughs> among the cutlery, what does that sound like? It sounds like you're absolute nutter. You know, nobody will take you serious. And that is the whole idea. Right. Also, my motorbike, I parked my motorbike right outside my window. I was living in an apartment in, an, in one of the suburbs. And three times the same week, that the motorbike had been moved like 50, 60 meters to the side. You know, these are just messages. It, it's just because I know quite a few people that have been uh, receiving these type of threats that I, I understood what it was. Because otherwise, uh, I don't know. But uh, so I heard the message loud and clear, and uh, so I left. And they thought, "Great." We're, I mean, at that point, I was Mister Nobody, so it was very, very easy for them to just uh, get rid of me, you know, sweep me away. And they, I think, they thought, "Well, oh, here's another one. We just uh, scared the living bejesus out of, so we don't have to worry about him." But I came to Spain and I, I worked day and night on finishing my book, which was finished in 2001. Then for quite a few years, I did not know what to do with it, with that information. I tried to get it published, but once you start seeing how these networks and are connected with Freemasonry, how people in many high positions are connected behind the scenes through... Uh, you know, like brotherhoods like the Bilderberg Group, the Trilateral Commission, the Com Commission of 300, these type of, where it's very, very hard to see who is connected with whom and where the loyalty is and where many of the, I must say, of the book publisher, the big official book publisher, are involved in this as well. So it's so hard to know who you can trust. And so I, I was... Uh, I had Michael Moore's agent look at my look at my book. He had it for a while, and he gave it back. and He said, "If you publish this one, you're going to be sued from here to the moon." <laughs> Called a bomb of truth, and really, it is. It's it, this book is not my opinion about what happened. It is the jigsaw put together in front of your eyes, uh, so that every reader can make up their own mind. I've just collected and, and uh, got as much information as possible over these 30 years put together in pixel that makes an image that is just absolutely mind-blowing. And I, I tell you, so many years when, when I was uh, uh, digging into the, the assassination and other things, I had no idea what the image of the finished jigsaw was. It was like the image side was downwards so I, just, I was just finding these different pieces and trying to 
puzzle them together and, and get them connected and so on. And first, when the picture started really taking shape, that is when I could start turning it over and see the real image. And that was just mind-blowing, I tell you. So you found the interconnectedness of all of these events going back decades, if not even further. I wouldn't say all, but so many, so, so many of these things that I had no idea were connected. I have now found that they, they are connected. And not only is it the same power structure uh, behind so many of these uh, so-called events, but they even use the same mechanics or assassins to, to carry out so, so, so many of these assassinations on a top-level, uh, international level. And uh, I, I heard an interview with one of the people involved once, and he got the question, but why do you use the same people? And he said, why change a winning team? <laughs> I mean, he's got a point. So this is why people that were part of the JFK assassination, they became legends in their area of business, and they were used again and again and again. Now, would they have been part of black ops organizations in the United States, or is this somewhere else in the world? No, it's it's the, the, the U.S. I mean, my God, is so central in so much mayhem in the world. Uh, this, the, if you look at the, no disrespect, but this, this, these are just facts. Uh, I would say that the financial center in the world is in the in London, in England. The religious center is in the Vatican, and the war center of the world is in Washington D.C. No, I agree with that. It, within this triangle, uh, there are all this. Uh, trafficking going on, you know, with everything from organs to to um, abducted children to drugs to oil to arms to all of these things are, st are just circulating between these three centers. So depending on what they need, that is where they activate the, um, that area. Well, from the way I understand it, that's those are the power centers of, of the New World Order. Yeah, and also the CIA, in the old days it was the CIA, was created as, a, it's an agency for hire. It's not there for your security, absolutely not. It's an agency, and that is why it's called Central Intelligence Agency. I would call it Cocaine Import Agency. <laughs> would be, uh, a more uh, correct word. But the CIA in in uh, there's especially one team that uh, I focused on many many years on trying to expose, and it was a, a group called Operation Forty. In the late fifties, early sixties, <clears throat> uh, there was um, it came. It was under the uh, under uh, President Dwight Eisenhower. He and people from the New World Order got together, and they were talking about how can we deal with foreign leaders that don't want to, to, you know, to conform. How are we going to deal with these things? Because we just want to take over the whole lot. So what are we going to do? And somebody came up with the idea, why don't we create an ultra-secret hit team that can be used globally? And um, so the task was given, everybody approved, they thought, great idea. And the task was given to Vice President Richard Nixon, who then contacted some old wolves in the CIA. 
you had David Attlee Phillips, Ted Shackley, and E. Howard Hunt. All of these, if you're into uh, into the dark world of black ops or, or top assassinations, uh, false flags, these are heavy, heavy players. Anyway, these three, uh, Ted Shackley, uh, David Attlee Phillips, and E. Howard Hunt, were sent down to Miami, <clears throat> where through what was called JM Wave, uh, the biggest CIA station in, in the world, they started recruiting mostly uh, exiled Cubans that had just fled from Cuba. And uh, they were uh, recruiting people from the Air Force, the Cuban Air Force, Army, police, Secret Service, and so on. And what they got together was a group of about 80 people to start with, where 60 people were trained in all type of things from propaganda to infiltration to manipulation to uh, uh, intimidation, all of these type of things. But then you had about 20 people out of this group uh, that were uh, specialized assassins. And these people were trained in everything from explosive, poison, you know, weapons, uh, bazookas, whatever could kill, they trained them in it. And this group was trained in down in Florida, in the Everglades. Uh, they were in Louisiana, and uh, just north of Lake Pontchartrain, and down in Guatemala, where they were being trained in jungle warfare and, and so on. <clears throat> and the first task they were given was to take out the beard, uh, Fidel Castro, who uh, was uh, becoming a big threat to, to Standard Oil, uh, United Fruit, these type of companies. So they contacted the CIA and said, please, we need assistance here. And uh, uh, it was not only that, it was organized crime. Many people that were being thrown out from, from Cuba when Fidel, Fidel Castro took over, many, many people were very, very pissed off and they wanted him dead. So uh, Operation 40 was aimed as a cannon towards uh, Castro. They tried several times but failed. But then after the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis where uh, we were extremely close to a World War III, a nuclear, um, a new uh, atomic war, where JFK was actually more or less sitting with a finger on the bottom that could have, could, could have started this whole war. But, and the whole uh, industrial uh, war complex was, was standing just, go, 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 let's, you know, they wanted war. They, they thrive on death and destruction. But Kennedy, uh, it was like he had, I would say, almost like an, an, an awakening, a spiritual awakening on, or a moment of, of just absolute horror where he, he found out of how close he was to start this global massacre. Uh, I mean, and how the level of absolute madness that was involved in this whole thing. So from that point, after the Cuban Missile Crisis, JFK from before, I would say he was a bit of a playboy and so on, but after that, oh my God, suddenly we had an individual that just had like uh, sleeves up, you know, and like heading straight on saying, charging straight on saying, well, I'm going to crush the CIA to a thousand pieces, enough is enough. I'm going to get out of the grip of the Federal uh, Reserve Bank. 
make our own money without interest-free uh, money. I want to get out of uh, Vietnam because at that point the, the, the war in Vietnam hadn't, hadn't really started on, uh, on an American, the American part. It was a French war before that. And many, many other things that where he just stood up and said, absolute enough, enough is enough. And that is where I think he became this major threat that where they decided to, we're going to statue an example and we're going to take this guy out. And uh, so Operation 40 was this whole weaponized murder machine was turned towards JFK instead. And in Dallas, uh, when you see, I've identified the more or less all shooters, um, getaway cars, backup shooters, uh, uh, all of these uh, people. Uh, I have them in, in the book as well, uh, Coup d'etat in slow motion. You can find it on Amazon. But many, many, many of the, the shooters are directly connected to Operation 40. So they were amazing. That took, uh, took, out him, took him out this day. Because the killers in Dealey Plaza was people <coughs> from the mob. It was like just like when they killed Julius Caesar. Everybody had to stab him. Everybody had to dip their hands in blood so that nobody could blame on anyone else and say, well, they did it, they did it, without going down themselves. And here we had uh, uh, powers from many different uh, power structures that was very determined to take out JFK, and everyone had to supply shooters as well. So this is some, um, uh, the shooters in Dealey Plaza came from these different organizations, but the main part came directly from Operation 40. That seemed like that was the big event that kind of sent us in the direction where we're at today. That was the event. I would say it was a coup d'etat that took place in, in the U.S. there, but a coup d'etat on the whole Western world on November 22nd. That is why it is so important to, to keep digging and exposing the truth because the people and the power structures that took him out have put every single precedent uh, that has been following him, all of the president that has followed Kennedy have been part of the same killing machine that took him out. So the same people, the same power structure that took over that day, are this, it's the exact same power structure we're looking at today that is challenging us every single day here. So this is why it's so important to expose uh, who is part of it, their, how it's uh, built up, how, how all of these things goes hand in hand and how they work together and so on. So I would say just just because the name is Ronald Reagan or Obama, it's just another different, uh, uh, you know, glossy front page, but it's the same very, very brutal killing machine that is just moving forward faster than ever before. There's really no question that the presidents at this point are definitely placed people. They're not their own men. Totally. You, to get to that level, there's absolutely no way to get there if you're an honest person at this point. It's totally hijacked. It is, it is a, just a theater, uh, a play for, for the masses. Do you want to choose my left hand or my right hand? Right. Whatever, mm -hmm. Which one you choose, or you can choose one of my fingers. It's still the same body. 
And this is why nothing changes either, even though dear old Mr. Obama says change. Uh, nothing changes. It only changes for the worst. So uh, we have to be the change. We have to stop this or transcend this absolute madness that is going on. Because it, the, mind, the mind behind this is mad. I mean, wh what do they want? They're trying to destroy everything. Nature, air, food, water, kill us off, pump us full with vaccines and chemtrails. And, you know, I mean, what kind of sane, you know, mind would, would do something like that to his fellow human beings? So the, the, we're up against total madness, I would say. Well, there does seem to be an agenda. I mean, they are without a doubt attacking us on multiple fronts and yeah. I, I think it's kind of obvious at this point just how much damage is being done with cancer through the roof and, and you know just people are being attacked terribly that the social engineering is very 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 obvious these days yeah I can only I mean I've been standing saying wake up please wake up since the 80s and uh, <laughs> saying the same things to this very day. I don't see how people can't see it now. It's so obvious. I know. And still, many, 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 many people don't see it. No, they don't. I, I get in arguments all the time with people. Would it be okay if I, I, I read you a the lyrics from a song I made in 94, I think? No, that'd be awesome. Go ahead. Okay, it's called From Prison to Paradise. I think really it's it says a lot. Because uh, also it comes to a point where we are now where things are really starting to, to loosen up and people are waking up and so on. So it ends on a high note. It goes like this. From prison to paradise. Once upon a time in a place not far from here, there was so much loneliness, despair and oh so much fear. Darkness ruled all over the land. There were lightning in the sky causing wars and separation with no one knowing why. These evil times raised leaders disguised as kind and true, hiding the truth in misty fog so only very few people knew, controlled by an elite few manipulating you and me, closing out the light and power that can make us all be free. Wake up, wake up, we gotta wake up, wake up, wake up, we gotta wake up now. Forced by invisible powers, demanded to conform, into shapes unknown to mankind, making him totally abnormal. Drowned in debts and sorrows, blaming others for their lot, made man believe to be inferior, feeling tiny like a dot. But then came times of change, covering countries and their towns. Few became many, and soon the prison walls came down, starting with the men in the mirror staring right back into their eyes, understanding that this was a chance to stop those hideous lies. Unhappiness is merely an illusion of misery based on brainwash and a misconception of true reality. From now on, let's build, bridge, build bridges between our souls and hearts so we together can rejoice when the final change comes to its start. Wake up, wake up, we gotta wake up now. Wake up, wake up, we gotta wake up now. Turning prison into paradise may seem too much to achieve, but believe me, it only takes one strong spirit to be free. The true power of a pyramid is never ever at the top. Instead, it's the people that can make this global game stop. Did you get it? Wake up, wake up. We gotta wake up now. 
That's wonderful. And you wrote that pre-9-11. Yeah, this was in 97. Uh, so so 9-11, I would say, is uh, that there are two major turning points in history, uh, in modern history, the JFK assassination and 9-11. These are the two major ones where it just went, whoa. And like an, a total 90-degree turn uh, to the worse, for the worse, or downwards, I would say, downward spiral. Because 9-11, that, the whole operation with Operation Northwood and so on, that was, it, the way they carried that out was more or less planned in the early 60s, and turned out it was uh, Lemnitzer that they came up with a plan, and uh, Kennedy turned it down. Then they fulfilled this uh, prophecy and carried it out on 9-11 and that was just unreal how much they have used that total inside job to to violate and, and rape the world under the pretext of for your protection and we had to save from Muslim terrorists because oh my god the world before 9-11 and after it's it's unreal. It's taken us into this uh, this uh, 1984 Orson, no, not Orson Welles. What's his name? George Orwell. George Orwell. Very weird, weird, weird world. So, but still, we're allowing it. It's because we are asleep that they get away with it. So it's up to us to make a change. It really is. I totally agree with you on that. What do you think their end game is, knowing all the things you know now after decades of research? Their end game? Oh my God. It is, uh, okay. Their end game, it is worse than you can ever imagine in your worst nightmares. It is so black, so sinister, so evil, so horrible. So I normally don't even go down that track because uh, it, it is, it cannot get worse. I tell you, it, it, their end game, uh, I can go into great detail if you want to, but I'm not sure I want to depress people or scare the living Jesus out of them either, <laughs> because fear is their tool. It is through fear that they control us. So the way for us to get out of this situation is to let go of fear and become fearless uh, and and stand in truth and balance and really go the the world the walk of, of love live in love uh, the power of love the real power of love uh, that uh, mahatma gandhi was talking about that martin luther luther king was talking about i'm not talking about a wussy type of oh i love you baby because you're cute that type of love i'm i'm talking about the power of real love the the power that can make a, a mother lift a crash car off her, her baby that had been stuck underneath or, or the love that will make a dad just run straight into a burning house to save his, his son and so on. Th that type, there is a magic about this thing we have inside us that uh, if we become more and more quiet, if the more we still our, our mind, the more we can... Uh, learn how to to tame our mind and calm it down and make it uh, focused 
the more fearless we can come, the more we, the less we let the fear disturb us, the less we let uh, all of these worry and these type of things disturb our mind, the more powerful we can come. And this is what they fear, I tell you. The people or the whatever they are behind the so-called New World Order, they fear us. They fear our power. They fear our compassion because they don't have it. They, they have psychopathic minds. They don't know how to deal with it. And uh, uh, I'm telling you, they, they say, we think, ooh, they're so powerful. Ooh. Okay, look at them. Once you identify who are in this game, these are people, uh, sometimes, I, I'm not sure even I'm, I can call them people, but these are uh, hollow human bodies that are, their talents are deceiving, manipulation, lying, thieving, stealing, raping, and being cowardly enough to sit in the background, sign papers, so that other people can take care of the horrible deed and bloody work to kill people and destroy countries and so on. But when you look at the, the power structure, the ones that are pulling the strings, extreme cowards, extreme. And most of them really old or getting old. And we say, but who they got all this, this weaponry, or they got all these weapons, or they got all of it. Yeah, because of us. Had, if, it, if we did not play their game, if we did not do it for them, if we didn't fly their drones for them, if we didn't put on SWAT team uniforms or police uniforms or whatever it is, defending them from normal, beautiful people, they would be toast right away. Boom. If we just say, instead of say, just do it, if we just said, just don't, right. the whole thing would stop right there. Boom totally nonviolent, and it would just stop. Because everyone plays their game. This is not everyone, I'm telling you. Not everyone. I, and this is where it is up to each and everyone to look in the mirror and say, am I in any way or form taking part of this game? And if so, how can I stop it? How can I be part of creating a beautiful future for my children, for myself, for, for everyone else, by not doing this. But it's so compartmentalized, this whole thing, you know, by design, in all different areas. So it's very hard to understand what it is that I'm, what my actions are actually doing in the whole machinery. But, uh, you know, I, I grew up uh, in Denmark with a lot of stories from the Second World War when Denmark was uh, under Nazi occupation. My dad was in the in the resistance movement. Uh, my my granddad was in jail for helping Jews, and, and these type of stories. And one of the things that I absolutely loved was that <clears throat> by just taking a spoonful of sugar and dropping it into the tank of one of these big uh, uh, German tanks. Tiga tanks and so on, you know, that sugar dissolved in the fuel and destroyed the engine. One spoonful of sugar could destroy this whole big killing machine that looked totally invincible. So I said, let's get some sugar going, you know, use sugar, use, use sweetness, use power, your power, 
totally fearless. I'm not saying violent. Absolutely not. They want us to become violent. They are poking us with a stick saying, come on, come on, come on. They want us to go into riots. They want us to demonstrate. They want us to do all the things. But if you go the other way, not bending, but not saying, go along. Just, I am not taking part of this. I take a step back. And instead of being fearful, I will be loving towards my fellow human being. I will not look upon people with fear just because they have a different religion or color of skin or color of eye or whatever else thing they're trying to bombard our mind saying that's the enemy absolutely not it's an old roman template divide and conquer you know they want to get into under our skin and point at at everyone else so that we don't see that it's them that they are behind it they want us to say no you have destroyed the globe you it's because you are driving a car that is why we have this problem in the world it is because the Muslims are, are waking up every day just while they're having breakfast. They, they're sitting there, all, every single one of all of these millions of Muslims are thinking, how can I destroy Christian people today? Can I, who can I blow up? It's absolute bullshit. <laughs> I've been to so many of these war zones. I've been to many, many Muslim countries. Yes, there are people that are very strict, but there are people in there in Christian countries that are very strict in their ways, and I would say everyone with a concrete mind should, or it would gain, at least people around them would gain a lot if they started to soften up a little bit and use the, the heart that we have been uh, equipped with, which is a fantastic tool, because your heart will guide you. Your mind and your heart, if you get, get it in balance, it will guide you. You have this guiding system within you. It's very quiet, but it's there. And it will tell you, when you whatever you do, it will say, good, bad. <laughs> Not so good, very bad. So even if you say, yay, baby, I just knocked the head of that old geezer, you know, and took everything he owned, yay, great. Inside you, there will be a silent voice saying, not so good, you know. And it will come back. It's called karma. Mm-hmm. It will follow. And even if you think you get away this time, it will come and get you. So the more I think, the more we listen to that voice inside, the, the better we will come back in balance. And the, the, the more of us that does this, the, the be- more beautiful it will become for all of us. And it, this is the wonderful thing with, with love is that it spreads this is the amazing thing. It spreads once you let it out there and you live by example. I'm not talking about being a wolf standing with a, a rose and not uh, facing reality. I'm saying face it, but do not face it with anger, hate, or revenge in your mind because then you're in their ball game, and they will crush you. It's not, a, it's not an easy one. But I tell you, the, the magic that happens, if you face, if, if I can share a little one that, that has helped me, is like when, if somebody approaches me, um, if, uh, let's say, a, a screaming police officer or somebody like that, or somebody who, who looks at me and says, or oh, I can see, I want to hurt you. If I 
if I manage to to repeat in my mind, the word that works for me is divine. Divine, 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 divine. He's somebody's son. He's somebody's brother. He's somebody's father. Divine, divine. He doesn't know what he's doing. He has no idea how he's being used. Divine, divine. If I can focus on that, I turn down the volume. I don't listen to the words. If I can manage to do that, that keeps my mind in love mode. I, I, I stop it from, from jumping into fear mode because if you're fearful in a situation that is threatening, the chances of you being hurt and other people as well being hurt are so much bigger than if you are focused in love. And the magic that I've experienced, and I've seen many others as well, if you can meet violence with that, something happens. It snaps. It, it's like it diffuses. It's like you get a bomb in your hand, and if you look at it lovingly, it will diffuse it. I, I don't know how it works. I can only say that I've seen it happen again and again. I think it's because it's a higher vibration winning out. There you go, Jason. I was getting to that. That <laughs> is exactly it. That is exactly it. Because they say that uh, the highest frequency in, in the universe is the one we call love. It's beyond the frequency of, of thought. It is very, very high. And the lowest of the low is total terror, absolute fear. But if you let two energies meet in a laboratory, the one high, one low, what happens is it's not that they start to struggle and then end up sort of like 50-50 in the middle in a gray zone. Absolutely not. What happens is the low one just gets boom, annulled. It disappears. Just like when you go into a dark room, switch on the light, boom. The darkness doesn't fight. It doesn't scream. I'm not leaving. It doesn't put up a, a struggle. It just disappears. And it's the same here. And I think... I, I know sometimes I say I'm not a religious person, but I see like people like Jesus and Buddha and these type of, of guys, they were super hackers. They cracked the code to the matrix. And what they found out was exactly this. Whatever the problem is, meet it with a higher frequency. And while you're at it, why not use the highest one? So use love. Whatever the problem is, use love. And boom you will annul it. But you cannot manipulate this game. If you try it, but you're not absolutely true, it backfires in your face. So, so it, it is a it's balance uh, thing. I think maybe for Jesus and these guys on, who were on that avatar level, that it wasn't that difficult. But for the rest of us down here, it's, it's balancing on, hmm. on a sword, you know, the edge of a sword. But it's fantastic to watch it when it happens. Because what I love is that you've got all these people with all of these uh, guns and I don't know what, the helmets and shields and all of this saying, oh my God, I am so dangerous. You should be shitting yourself when I say go or stand or lie down. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, if you do not even get fearful of them, they get very confused. <laughs> which I think is amazing. When you see somebody with a big shotgun, I'm standing there more or less in my underpants. You know, I have no defense whatsoever. Nothing, nada. And then they get confused. That is amazing. And what has happened a few times is that a few minutes or 
20 minutes down the line, suddenly they're so helpful, these people, you know, that, you know, if you need any help, here's my card, you know, call me, here's the number for my SWAT team, or, uh, you know, these are, oh, well, my, my wife don't, don't uh, understand me, maybe you can give me some advice, or she would have a beer, or something. It diffuses it, it diffuses it, it's absolutely magnificent. So, power to love. Well, we need to do that more and more. Because those are people too, and a lot of people forget that. You know, they just kind of look at them as nameless, faceless individuals, and it's not true. They're they they have husbands and wives and families, all that. This is the thing, and they are being duped into believing that they what they are doing is right. They have been trained to see you as the enemy, and it's like I love this thing. I don't know if you've seen like. Uh, uh, I think it was in some Eastern Bloc countries and some, there were big demonstrations and they had all these SWAT teams out there and there were these women that just, old women that came up with mirrors holding it up, you know, so that these soldiers could see themselves in the mirror mm. and it was sort of like, are you really proud of what you become? Really? You know, here you are, you're just about to bash my head in. I'm an old woman, maybe your grandma is this what you called honor? Is this why you became a police officer? And it's just amazing, these things, you know, totally nonviolent, but so powerful. And just like you say, these people that are very, very important to reach in uniform, because they're the one defending this whole crap from the rest of us. They're the ones standing there, not protecting us the way they should, but the other way around. So we really need to... to reach the heart of these people. But they are totally duped as well. And I have friends who, were, who used to be in, uh, there's especially one um, English guy, guy, he used to be an RRF police officer. He was also uh, in riot teams, uh, English riot teams. And he, so I asked him a lot about the way he saw it, you know, at that point. And he said they were so pumped up with adrenaline for hours and hours before they were sent out, you know, to confront demonstrations or, or whatever it was. So they, you could not reason with them at all. But at the same time, the power of love can go through to people like that as well. You just need to, to choose uh, the right occasion, be the right person, not accusingly, but, but reach them in different ways. So, uh, you know, family members, wives, children of people in uniform, please, please, please try to reach them. Not blamingly, not attackingly, but lovingly. P make them see what they are doing. You know, it is a very, very violent, brutal, painful awakening for many of these people especially soldiers that think that they've signed up, you know, to defend the country, to fight for democracy, to, to liberate countries, to, you know, go out and Operation Stardust, and I will get a lot of medals, and, and the chicks will adore me. And then they come out, and they, they suddenly find themselves in a situation where they've been turned into brutal, ruthless killing machines, paid assassins, Killing children, women, innocent, totally innocent people in totally 
innocent countries, all based on greed and not even their own greed. They don't get anything for it. What they do is they get exposed to depleted uranium in ammunition or in the tanks where they got these bulletproof parts made of depleted uranium. I mean, what kind of caring commander would put his people in these situations? Mm -hmm. And then they get back home, they're being totally pump up, pumped up with all of these drugs and vaccines. I don't know how much is pumped into these poor bodies. And then they get shot up or, or get totally messed up mentally, filled with drugs, sent back home, and of course treated like heroes. Ah, not right out in the street. I'm, I'm a friend with Chip Tatum, a uh, former CIA whistleblower. He's very much into helping veterans and so on. And he claims that it, it's normal procedure that it can take up to six years for a veteran to get his case uh, gone through and, uh, and approved just for him to get his benefits. Six years. And during these times, they're being treated like crap. People are spitting on them. They're living like dogs in the streets, homeless. Nobody care about them. They're being in these veterans' uh, hospitals. You know, they're lying in their own crap. Nobody. It's, oh, it's awful. It's awful, awful. And then also these poor souls that have to live with what they've done in these countries. Mm -hmm. They are the ones who pull the trigger. It doesn't matter if somebody's screaming and uh, an order, shoot, shoot, shoot. It's not that one that lives with the karma. You, the one that pulls the trigger, throws the grenade, drive the tank across uh, on top and crush someone, you are the one who have to live it. It is your soul that has been soiled. And this is also why you see all of these horrendous suicides. I think, is it 11 per day or something like that in the States? It's awful. Yeah, it's really high. It's tragic, tragic. At the same time, I must say, you in the US, please wake up. Wake up. Because it is called the defense industry. It's called the defense, the Department of Defense and so on. Absolute bullshit. There, if you look at the world, the balance and so on, I think the U.S. have more weapons, more advanced technology than the rest of the world together. And then for the defense of the U.S., who would get up and even challenge any, anyone like that? It's like sending in Mike Tyson in, into a nursery, you know, like with small newborn babies who would stand up and pick a fight? You know, it's the same. And you got like army bases in 150 countries, I think, at least. Could you imagine like if what the countries that is, are the so-called terrorist countries like Iran, what would you feel like if Iran had army bases in 150 countries surrounding you? I mean, is it strange that maybe you're not that welcome Maybe there's a reason why people throw rocks when you come to try and liberate them. It, it is, we need to stop this madness. We really need to, to see what's going on, and especially the people in uniform, especially you.
And I would also say that I've, I've spoken to generals and so on. The thing is that many, many people, when they get up and they got all these medals and stripes and whatever, they think, oh, I'm safe. Uh-uh, very sorry. The higher up you are, check out uh, dictatorships, everyone, if you go in the history, every single time a dictator had come into power through the help of his military ad uh, advisors and generals and so on, about a year after he's come to power, he starts fearing the army because it's becoming too powerful. So chop, 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 heads <laughs> off. And then a new generation of generals. Then one year down the line, oops, getting close to a military coup, chop, chop, chop. So just because you've got a lot of stripes on your shoulder does not mean that you're safe. And these people in behind the so-called New World Order have no loyalty to you whatsoever. They don't give a shit about you, really. They treat you like crap and they will dispose of you. You are an empty uniform to them. As soon as you're not needed, you're out. So just because you're loyal to them does not mean that it works the other way. So, But the people don't know that, though, on an individual basis. They're sold this great big lie of get money for college or you're defending your country or whatever it is they happen to be buying into. They don't realize they're, they're just a tiny cog in a giant global machine. I know, and this is, this is why it's so important to reach out to them. This is why I'm, I'm, I've done hundreds, I don't know how many hundreds of interviews, and many times I'm speaking directly to people in uniform, or also directly to people in the, in the elite as well, uh, to try and wake them up, to stop this whole thing. Because the, the people in the elite, they call themselves the elite. I call them the self. I call them the minority or the lightless. Hmm. And uh, when, when you look at them, I think they are really freaking out because they are at a point where so many people are waking up. I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands on a daily basis now are waking up to the fact of what's going on because there's so much information out there. So as soon as you start opening your eyes, boom, you can just be, whoa, it's all there. So the people in the so-called elite, what are they going to do? I mean, they have a lot of things that they've done, awful, awful things. And if you look at history, the natural next step would be to string them up and chop them into small little pieces and serve them uh, on a pizza. <laughs> so I can totally understand that they're freaking out. But at the same time, this is for us to not repeat his history. Like if you look at revolutions over the centuries, they, the people take over, they kill the dictator, they chop them up, you know, in guillotines or whatever. But what happens? Just a few years down the line, they are even worse than the people that they overthrew. So we need to do it in a whole new way, the, the Gandhi way. That is the way to do it. You know, like Gandhi, look at this guy. Did he have a lot of muscles? <laughs> Did he have funding? Did he have a military title? Was he a president? Did he have an army behind him? Did he have shoes? Did he have nothing? Did he have teeth? Not so many. Look <laughs> at this guy. He was walking around in what looks like a diaper with a stick and just a pure heart and an incredibly strong mind 
set on love. And he managed to unite a country. Of, I mean, when you think of India, have you been to India, these countries? I mean, it's total chaos. This man united that country. And then England, Great Britain, to back out and let go of India, it is, it is unheard of. He, without firing a shot, without doing anything except standing in truth and love and balance. Incredible. But he showed that it is possible. And this is where Martin Luther King came in. He started doing the same thing, but he pushed too much. And the, the, the powers he was up against was just too violent. So, well, but here we are. It's a new, it's a new round. We're many years later, we're back in a similar situation. But now it's up to us. How are we going to do? What are we going to do? What type of world do we want to create? Do we want to create a world based on on blood and revenge and hate, or do we want to transcend this whole thing, building on compassion, forgiveness, unity, healing, harmony? It's up to us. It's easy to complain and just point, well, they're the bad guys, but, you know, they're doing this and they're doing that. Okay, so what about you? What can you do? What can I do? What can I bring to the table? How can I help? How can I ins- inspire? What can we do? Can we do it? Or can we, are we just in a situation where we're going to mess it up even worse? Because it's just a matter of time before the new world order goes down. I think. I mean, I think the dragon is already slain. What we've seen is the tail going like from 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 with all these sloppy false flags. Mm-hmm. It is. I mean, it's getting ridiculous. It's on a level one can be proud of it. But what can we do? What can you do, Jason? What can I do? What can we do? And how? What with what intention? I think the intention is so important. That it's a pure intention for the betterment of all, you know, for the healing of all, for the caring of, of everything, animals, nature, all of we need to get it back in balance because we have screwed it up big time, or at least we are in a situation where the balance is non-existent. Well, I think the big thing here is we can't be looking for a solitary leader. It has to be a personal revelation, you know, your own awakening and yeah, sorry, I don't want to. Yeah, we have to do it on a, on a one-to-one basis. People are always looking for that one figurehead. You know, they're looking for the Gandhi or whomever it is. But in reality, we all have to be that figure for ourselves. I can only agree. I can totally agree. If you look for a leader, it is, it is just a matter of time before corruption enters, before the whole infiltration, the power struggles. I mean, I tell you, Without bragging, I've been told that I am a supreme leader. I would say that is so not true. Because I can't even get a group of four people to to to, to get to decide on what restaurants to go to <laughs> if we're going out or something like that. I mean, no way. I am so not. At the same time, I understand what it is they're getting at. Because... I, there is a fantastic website or a fantastic English guy called, it's called, the website is called Trust Techniques, I think. 
And this man is amazing with horses and animals. And what he does is there's this incredible video on YouTube where he's just sitting down, almost meditating, but not, you know, he's just sitting and his mind is absolutely still. And there's this, uh, there's about 12 or 15 horses around him. And all these horses have all been abused and so on. He has not met them before. But after a while, one of the horses lies down next to him. Then another one. Then another one. And in the end, all 15 horses are lying down totally relaxed. And when this guy goes, these, all of these horses follow and he runs through the forest. They're just following him. They're, he rides without reins. He's just like in harmony with this beautiful creature. And he says that it is, there is this uh, uh, thirst for a quiet mind, this peaceful mind, and that uh, if you can have that, the rest will follow. Other living beings will follow you for the peace of mind. And I, I think that is also what, what was happening around Martin Luther King and Gandhi, that that was what gathered them. They, people want out of this chaos. They, they're longing for this peace and quiet. And instead of somebody dominating a horse with pure force, I mean, you, can, you have to break the horse, you have to hit it, you have to all of these things. Here, he was just walking and they just followed in total harmony. No control, just harmony. But a working harmony, a, a life that would work. And this is what I believe can be a new way that, just like you say, no leaders, listen to your heart. We have the same guiding system in our, all of us have it. Some of it, some of us have been abused, uh, beaten up, uh, whatever, in a way that has made that voice go very quiet. Doesn't mean that it's dead. It's still there. So the more we can wake that voice up and the more we can live and follow that GPS system that we've been equipped with inside of us, the less rules, the less laws, the less need of control. Because we will, we will not hurt people. There is a, an old yogic uh, way... It's a perfect action is something that brings benefits to someone that no sorry that hurts no one but bring benefits to someone yourself included hurts no one or nothing but brings some benefit to someone yourself included and so if I think the more we can live from not hurting be be aware of the more we can be aware of our actions, our words on a daily basis, minute by minute, and go away from violent thoughts, go away from violent to uh, hard words, harsh words, um, violent actions, and so on, and, and treat, start treating this beautiful world with the love that it, it uh, deserves. And, and I mean, we should be so grateful just to. to be here and be alive. The more of us that wakes up and, and start treating life like that, the more this will fall into place, I think. I'm totally with you there. 
And I think that if you and I can do it, there's no reason that everyone couldn't do it. What's what's stopping them besides themselves? Jason, I have no idea, and it's not up to me to change anyone else. I can just focus on myself. What can I do? And if what I do somehow inspire other people to, to do good for themselves, I'm very happy with that. I, I can, you know... As soon as you try and change someone else, I don't know if you try with your girlfriend, does not work, and I'm sure if you try it with you, does not work either. So the only one you can focus on is the one looking back in the mirror. But that has an incredible effect as well, if you do it in the right way. I, I, I really, uh, humbly, I say that uh, through these interviews I've given, I've reached millions of people uh, with a non-violent message. So if I should die here now, I'm very happy, you know, have, having done that. Because if we can, if we can, whatever situation we're in, if we can leave it better or more harmonious or more beautiful than when we entered, the better. And if you chop up your life and day in small pieces and see every single one from here to there, a small little chapter, can I somehow lift the energy? Can I make it better for, for someone else or myself? Can I make this or that or this? And the more of us that does good and beauty, spread beauty around us, the more beautiful it is. And I see amazing people. I see so much beauty going on in this world. But then you turn on the news and you see, oh my God, I live in absolute hell. Turn it off. It is there to totally destroy your peace and harmony. That black box is like an open sewage mm -hmm. used by psychotic or, or I don't know what to call them, psychopathic maniacs trying to invade your home. And you use that black box to for babysitter and so on. I say, whoa, once you start seeing how this propaganda machine is used against us, there is a fantastic button on the remote and it said it says off OFF it's red. Press it and try it. You know, this silence after a while, maybe you will start looking around you and say, Whoa, hang on, I'm not alone. I have a wife. There are some children over there. They look a bit like me. Uh, I haven't spoken to them for about 12 years. Maybe I should start to say hello. How are you? You know, see, get this thing going in your, in your family, neighborhood. You know, reach out to each other and, and get away from the box. I mean, if you look at it, it's like a magnet. It pulls you in. I'm one. If somebody has a screen on, boom, my eyes are there. It's right. incredible. I, I need to turn my back to it because otherwise, by by automation, my boom, my eyes will be drawn there. And uh, it's amazing that hypnotic quality they've been, been able to construct with it. At the same time, if you see who we're up against, I mean, we should salute ourselves that we're not totally dead, you know, brain dead. Huh. Because the the magnitude of propaganda that has been pumped at this point, oh, boy, oh, yo, yo. They are doing everything they can. It's like swallowing a, a double gate or whatever you call it, like having a shotgun down your mouth and just 
being boom. <clears throat> they are using everything they can. I, ha I have a friend, uh, he's got a radio program called uh, The Sage of Kwai, Michael Williams mm -hmm. is his name. I've heard he's of him. a hypnotist specialist. And he's been telling me a lot about these programs, how they do it, you know, to get to your subconscious with colors and circling things and text tickers and so, to get you into the veggie mode and then boom, hit you. So it's uh, so many different areas surrounding us are controlled by design and the design is not for our good. You know, it is to control us on all levels. And more to the point, to keep distracting us from actually doing anything worthwhile. That as well. Pump you with fear, distract you, say that you're worth absolutely nothing, and uh, thank you, consume, uh, and uh, stay brain dead. Thank <laughs> you so much, and go back to sleep. That's about it. And tomorrow, we will be back with more of the same. And that's how they're doing it, but they're keeping everyone asleep by hitting on numerous levels. I mean, they've got the hypnotic box, but then they're hitting us in the skies and in the food and the water and the medicines. And, you know, it's no wonder everybody's still asleep. No, totally. That's why I'm, I'm very gentle with people, you know, uh, around me. I don't talk about these things to a lot of people uh, around me. because It's like you plant seeds and then some of them, uh, I don't know what it's called, but put, put their roots, get their roots down in the ground and slowly comes up. Other is on stony ground. You won't be able to see anything there. And I tell you, if you keep pulling it up every two, five minutes to see if it's growing, it won't work either. <laughs> and I, I think most people have experienced uh, when they start waking up that uh, they, they, they want everyone else to wake up at the same time. So they start pestering family, members, spouses, people at work, you know, about conspiracies, conspiracies, oh, it's this, 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 everything is black, 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 it's connected, it's connected, we're going down, everything is hell. And then they get very confused because people are like, oh, shut up, shut up, take this horrible person away, I don't want to hear. But it's, it's the energy, you have to become aware of what kind of energy are you spreading, you're spreading this black, sticky, horrible heavy, heavy, heavy information and just splashing it right in the face of people without them asking for it. So that is not the way to go. I think most people have found out that who have awoken and, and just like they have that experience. So I would say what you can do instead is you can gently knock on the door and if the door opens, you, you cannot knock it in from the outside. It has to be open from the, from the inside. And if it is, then you're welcome with this type of information. Put, uh, put out a little feeler out there. Is this person aware or interested? And, and when she, once you start talking, check out what do they look like? Do they look like they want to escape? Or do they look interested? Or do they look like they've already fallen asleep or whatever? And then have some feeling for the feedback and then gently deliver. And if not, then why even insist on pushing uh, this information out there? And the hardest ones are always family and spouses. These mm -hmm. are, it's, so that one, don't even go there. This will be your main 
obstacle or the one that is the trickiest one to find harmony with. It's like with every obsession, if it's too much, it's just, it blows people away. They don't want to, they would start avoiding you. Well, what I've seen happen with people who first wake up, they, they kind of go over the top for a while because they're like, <laughs> oh my God, you know? And then, because I've seen this happen, I was one of the earliest people in my circle to start getting all this. Yeah. And then I saw, you know, the way people reacted to me, and then I, I had to learn to kind of pull back a little bit. But then as the years went by, I saw it happening to others, especially after 9-11. That was the big one. People, like, were figuring it out and then going over the top. And there's a guy back in Pennsylvania where I'm from, though I'm thinking of, who scared his girlfriend that they had baby together and she didn't know what to do with them. And it was just people don't know, know like what to do with the information when the realization suddenly hits and it's a different vibrational level. I think, I think is the best way to say it. You're, you're now thinking in a different way and just about everyone else around you is not. So you got to watch how you approach things. Yeah. I tell you my sweetheart, uh, her name is Kim. Uh, she has just done an amazing thing, I think, because she comes from a family that doesn't want to hear, that is very much into the Swedish way, you know, the official news, that's it, nothing but the news, and so help you God, uh, and so on. Don't want to hear about these things, don't want to see, don't want anything. So she came up with this amazing idea to put together 15 questions where uh, questions from so-called normal people, like, uh, doesn't matter if I vote or not, uh, what are GMOs, um, are vaccines dangerous, what are chemtrails, um, banking thing, is there a way to get out of it, are bank, banks really controlling us, and, and so on. Fifteen questions like these things that most people in the beginning are getting into areas where, they, where people around them say, yeah, right. Anyway, so she put together these 15 questions and, and uh, through some of my contacts, uh, uh, she's interviewed an amazing bunch of people, I must say. It's uh, David Icke, Ken O'Keefe, Kevin Barrett, Sophia Smallstorm, Cynthia McKinney, Kerry Cassidy from Product Camelot, and yours truly. <laughs> and she's uh, put it in a book that has just been published. It's called So What Can I Do? Which is exactly the question that everybody asks. So what can I do? That is the, and uh, uh, you can find it on on Amazon. Her, her name is Kim Kamala Ekman, E K M A N, Kim Ekman, and the book is So What Can I Do? Because that is a perfect gift for someone with a spouse or a friend or family member or whatever, where you are in a situation like that. They don't want to hear you. You are too much much uh you're full of it in their eyes and you've just gone <laughs> crazy then here is confirmation from people who have spent a great part of their life trying to expose uh the real truth whatever the real truth is and uh, so i can really recommend that one because this is the big question for all of us so what can i do now i know now i can see but what can i do not that easy to answer either no it's not and I think you have to approach everyone differently, too, on an individual basis. Again, I think this all comes down to the individual. Yeah. Yeah. Be, be, have a, a feeling for the other person. And also, 
the more you accuse or the more violent in your approach you are, or like, you know, like you should wake up or you should know or something like that, the the, the I have the dog here going crazy, and uh, the harder it is uh, for them to take it. Or you should read this book. That is the worst you can do. Well, I, I know we are winding down here. Do you want to get out all of the information about how people can find you? My website is lightonconspiracies.com. Lightonconspiracies.com. That is light as in something shining. Because this is exactly what I try to do. I try to go into the darkest of the darkest corner and shine light there and heal it by totally fearless exposure of the truth. Whatever the truth is, in whatever area it is, there is such a thing as the truth. And it's through that being exposed that true healing can happen. I am just an ordinary guy. I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not employed by anyone or sponsored by anyone and so on. So <clears throat> I try to, what I try to is uh, expose false flag operations. We didn't get so much into these things today. Maybe if you want another day. Yeah. What I'm trying to is uh, expose them and get it out there even before they happen. And I, I humbly believe that I've been part of stopping at least two false flag massacres planned. So uh, what I try to is uh, get on location as soon as their drills announced and so on to get out there, front line, totally peaceful, totally fearless, and stop this madness. So uh, if anyone wants to, to join me in trying to, to do this, there are, I have a newsletter you can sign up for or... There's a fantastic donation button, which is extremely appreciated. I've got books on Amazon and on my website. I've written uh, four or five. Uh, the one that we've been talking about today is Coup d'etat in slow motion. Coup d'etat in slow motion. About the uh, assassination of Olaf Palmer, the Swedish Prime Minister, but also with all the connections to the JFK assassination, Iran Contras, and many, many, many other things. Uh, I've also, there's another one called Shadow of Tears about, um, it's a true story about how I, it was actually 1984, the year we talked about before, I took an old bicycle and uh, quit my job as a journalist and just went out into the world, not knowing where I was going. It was just uh, letting my big nose lead my way. <laughs> I thought I was aiming for South Africa, but instead I ended up in Iran. Uh, during the the war, in the middle of the war, uh, I thought I was going. I was afraid of this country because I thought this is a totally mad country filled with absolute crazy fundamental uh, maniacs running around screaming Allah Akbar, shooting each other. That was my impression of Iran. But what I met instead was um, absolutely amazing people absolutely amazing people in the most horrific situation. I mean, it was after the revolution, there were, there were police, there were military blocks everywhere, the, the cities were being bombed, total terror, the jails were filled, uh, you know, like mass execution, torture. It was absolutely horrendous. And at the same time, I met the most generous, kind, considerate, beautiful people 
in this awful, awful situation. I also met some people totally messed up, of course, from the war and so on. But the general thing was just incredible. And in the end, uh, it came to a point where I, I started loving these people that I, that I met there. Uh, one of them got murdered, and then uh, I decided to give everything I could and do my utmost. So I helped to smuggle out uh, one of my friends uh, from Tehran to Moscow, then to East Germany, and then after that up to Sweden. And uh, <clears throat> in the end, uh, we got seven people out in total that are now uh, in Sweden doing great in Sweden and Canada, and so on. So the, the book Shadow of Tears is exciting actually about that. And my intention was uh, to try and build a bridge between them and us. There's so much of them and us in the world. We're being bombarded all the time about fearing each other because we're different. Mm -hmm. And so, and my intention with this book is to show, uh, build a bridge of love between and and to acceptance and openness to each other. And um, also I really, really hope that I can get this made into a major motion picture because I think the story of the book is so much bigger than us that was just part of it. It is, uh, I think it can make a, do a lot of, of good in the world. So anyone who's got a few millions uh, down his back pocket and wants, here is an option. But anyway, if it's okay with you, Jason, if, uh, if if I can finish with a prayer. Absolutely. I'm not a religious person, but uh, I have, have this fantastic uh, Raja Yoga teacher, uh, Raja Yoga, that is uh, the science of the mind, 5,000-year-old science. Her name is Melanie Chalaram, and she has this prayer that I absolutely love, and it goes like this. May the entire universe be filled with peace and joy, love and light. May everyone, and especially the ones who heard us, be filled with peace and joy, love and light, victory to that light. Because we all need to heal. They need to heal as well. This is a tricky one because if we just uh, bash them up or chop them up or whatever we do, and they're still in this very dark hole of greed and horror and violence and all of it, it will come back. And it will start spreading again. Just like, so we need to heal it. We need to heal them just like we ourselves need to be healed. So in my opinion, that's the way forward. That's beautiful, man. I love it. I, I like the fact that a lot of these shows lately have been going away from let's talk about all the horrible things going on and into the positive solutions and the good things going on. I too love it, Jason. I, I was just talking about the other day when um, I think uh, when I really started doing these radio things, it was in 2009, but then in 12 it really took off. And uh, there was all revenge and hate and anger and, and all of these things. And now, when I, now it's so different. I mean, people that were so violent and angry and frustrated before. I hear people talk about nonviolence all over the place and how to. It's, it's fantastic. It's absolutely amazing. So, hallelujah to that. I think we're going in the right direction, at least. We are indeed. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time. It's been very, very appreciated. My absolute uh, 
Pleasure, Jason. And we'll definitely have to do this again. Anytime you want. Anything I can do, anywhere I can make a difference. I say that to the audience as well. Anywhere. It does not matter if it's to go and, and speak to bikers or prisoners or, or military or SWAT teams or whatever it is. If you can make it possible for me to get there somewhat financially and I can make a difference, you can count me in. Whatever I can do, I will do it. Fantastic. Do you have any public appearances coming up? Uh, I'm on my way to to uh, uh, England now to kind of uh, start doing a f uh, series of documentaries where I, on location, try to totally debunk different false flag operations uh, by showing on site uh, all the abnormalities. Uh, and all the things that does not uh, match up with the official story. And uh, <clears throat> also I'm going to Sweden, I believe, in the end of February to do some guided talks, uh, no walks around the site of the murdered the Swedish Prime Minister, Ola Palme. It is now, this year, it's 30 years anniversary of his assassination. And I normally do, it's between five and seven hours that I take people around the, the site I'm just showing this is what the witnesses saw. This is what I found out over all these years. I mean, I identified everyone more or less involved, uh, including shooters, backup shooters, getaway drivers, the funding, how they got in, out, the whole whole It is a massive one, this one. And also, I'm going to do uh, some talk in Kaltenberg here. And in, in um, I believe, there's going to be a UK conference in Copenhagen that I've been invited to on, on the European board of experts of the JFK assassination. And I've also been invited to Dallas in November. And uh, I'm also going to be <coughs> in Copenhagen in uh, September at the Open Mind Conference there, where I, I hope... Uh, to get the CIA whistleblower Chip Tatum to join us there, uh, among others. So there, there's a lot of things going on. Uh, it's just starting to build up this this year. 2015 was extremely intense for me. So at the moment, I'm gaining a bit of strength. Also working with a series of books uh, together with Jim Setzer uh, and other people. It's uh, There's especially one series that I think is important. It's called... The first book is called, and I suppose we didn't go to the moon either, where uh, there are about 12 experts, PhDs, uh, researchers from along the globe, really heavyweight uh, people that are looking into the moon landing hoax, I would say. Also, uh, the fake Paul McCartney, uh, the Holocaust, that does not match up at all. I mean, it is so far from the real truth as we can come when you look at it with an open mind and you look at the evidence. I made uh, a special interview on Red Eyes Creations, uh, a program called uh, Making, um, making, think or, uh, making Logical Thinking Illegal. Uh, because I think, not because I am, this is an area, the Holocaust is the, the most sensitive area I think you can get into, because this is the area that is being used against any serious researchers 
as soon as they can't use anything else to stop you, they throw that one at you. And um, so also to, to in, in quite a few countries, if you even raise questions, you can end up in jail around the Holocaust. And I think that is so absurd and so not okay in my world. So that is why I went to Berlin and also other places and talked about these things. But you can find it on, on YouTube, uh, that one. Well, thank you so much for your time, Ale. We'll definitely talk again. I just want to say also, the second book, I forgot, is called And Nobody Died in Sandy Hook. And it's just taking the whole Sandy Hook apart. Uh, evidence, lots of uh, photographic evidence, lots and lots and lots and lots showing that that was an absolute false flag operation, state-sponsored terrorism, absolutely not a real event, nobody died, and this book was banned by Amazon. So on my website, uh, Light on Conspiracies, you can find, if you look at uh, my books, go down there, and there's one link where you can download this book for free. The banned version, you can download it for free. Now we found another publisher that is going to uh, print that one. And also the third uh, book in this series that we are almost finished with now is called And Nobody Died in Boston Either. The exact same thing. There's about 12 experts that are just totally uh, taking the whole Boston thing apart, showing what actually happened. So these books are not very popular in Washington, D.C. and other places, but I would say very important. Also, I have uh, been part of uh, Dr. Kevin Barrett. Uh, he's he's uh, come out with two books, one about the Charlie Hebdo, where it's called We Are Not Charlie Hebdo, and the other one is uh, called Another French False Flag Operation Question Mark about the latest one. So it's it's this book has been made in less than two months. So, uh, but they're, they're available on Amazon and other places. So I think this is the way to sort of fight back. I don't like the word fight back, but, but uh, transcend this whole thing. by As soon as they try something on us, get the truth out there. As soon as they try with lies and conspiracies and all of the, these things, diversion and, and, and to, to dupe us again, just get the truth out there. Boom, boom, boom. It's like a ping pong game. And uh, so it's going to be an interesting year, this 2016. Uh, either we're going to be end up behind bars or we're going to have a, a beer and a great dance party, I would say. Globe dance party, that's <laughs> my aim. You know? So let's get some sugar in the machine. I agree. Thanks, L.A. I think that was a very positive, inspiring interview with Ole Domagard, and I would encourage everyone to go out there and check out his works. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon.